can be dismissed to Children's Church. We go in the back. Thank you so much for making the time to be here today. I think it's an important thing uh, to make a local church a part of your life, and I'm grateful that you made that decision today, and I hope you continue to do so on a regular basis. John chapter 1, as we just lost half of our crowd, amen. But that's a good thing. It's a blessing to see lots of kids running around. I always have as a goal for our church that we have lots of kids running around and marks on the walls and stains on the floors and those things, but that uh, means that we have uh, a vibrant ministry if you have young kids around. John chapter 1. Dr. Bernard Nathanson was the leading abortion doctor in the United States in the 1970s. He campaigned vigorously for the legalization of abortion, and he himself, uh, through his office, performed over 60,000 abortions. His intentions were good. He believed that he was fighting for a righteous cause and uh, fighting for the right of a woman to control her body. But then something happened that changed everything for Dr. Nathanson. There was a medical breakthrough called the ultrasound that was introduced in 1976. And this device literally changed everything. It gave us a, quite literally, a window into fetal development. You could see what was going on. And Nathanson saw his ultrasound for the first time, and, and he watched as a technician applied the gel to the woman's abdomen, and, and uh, then that handheld sensor, and then he was amazed with what he saw. He saw a little body with a beating heart, and he saw a shape. And during that scan, Nathanson became incredibly convicted about what he did. He no longer saw a fetus. He now saw a baby, and it changed everything. The leading abortion doctor in America became convinced that human life existed in the womb. And he wrote an article shortly after that for the New England Journal of Medicine. And he made this statement, which was earth-shattering for what he did before. He said, in abortion, we are taking a life. What he saw changed his mind completely. What he saw in one moment changed the course and direction of his life completely. Today we're going to look at a friend of Jesus who this sort of thing happened to. He saw and in an instant he changed the course of his life and it changed him as a person. He changed his mind about the Messiah and who he was in an instant. I want to look at a man called Nathaniel. If you'll look at your Bibles in John chapter 1, we're going to look at verse number 45 to begin. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, thou art the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. He saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter ye shall see heaven open, angels of God descending or ascending and descending upon 
the Son of Man. Father, I pray you'd help us as we look at the life of Nathaniel. May we learn something that applies to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Philip's closest friend, Nathaniel, is listed as Bartholomew in the lists of uh, disciples that the Bible gives. In all four lists of the twelve, he's listed as Bartholomew. In the Gospel of John here, he's called Nathaniel, which means God has given. In the synoptic Gospels, and I might take, I was thinking about this a couple weeks ago, I used the term synoptic Gospels, I might ought to explain that in case you're not familiar with what that term means. The synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke because they include many of the same stories, many of the same timeline, and they're kind of laid out in a, in a similar sequence. They stand in contrast to the book of John whose content is different and unique. And so we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When I refer to the synoptic Gospels, those three I'm referring to, John is the odd one out, not the, the, the unique one, odd sounded wrong, okay? But the synoptic Gospels contain no details about Nathaniel's background, his character, or his personality. The only time he's mentioned is when the twelve are listed and his name is among them. John's Gospel features Nathaniel in two different passages, in the text that we just read, where his call is recorded, and then in John 21, 2, where he is listed as one of the ones who went fishing with Peter after the resurrection. Nathanael came from a small town uh, called Cana in Galilee. If you'll remember, Cana is where Jesus did his first miracle uh, at the wedding there in Cana. And uh, so Cana was very close to Jesus' own hometown in Nazareth. Nathanael was sought out by Philip, and immediately Philip, uh, it, this was immediately after Philip was called by Jesus. He went after Nathanael. They were evidently very close friends. In each of the synoptic Gospels, they are listed together in the list of the twelve, uh, kind of joined, um, they're linked. In the earliest church history that you read about the apostles, uh, they're also, their names are often linked as well, even in secular history. Apparently they were friends before they met Jesus, they were friends while they walked with Jesus, and they were friends after Jesus ascended into heaven. Uh, like Peter and Andrew, James and John, we find them together, not as brothers, but as very close friends. Virtually, all we know from Nathaniel is from this text, and Philip's the one who brings him. Isn't it a good thing to have godly friends like Philip and Bartholo uh, uh, or Nathaniel here had? Remember this event uh, in uh, earlier in the chapter that took place in the wilderness after Jesus, G uh, Jesus' baptism. John the Baptist had pointed to Jesus as he walked uh, toward him. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world in verse 29. And then Andrew, John, and Peter were the first to be called, verses 35 through 42. Uh, the next day as he was planning to go to Galilee, Jesus sought out Philip and called him too in verse 43. And according to verse 45, Philip findeth Nathaniel. This is such a common progression. We see it over and over in Scripture, and it's laid out for us here. When we come to Christ, and He makes a difference in our lives, we automatically want to bring our loved ones to Christ as well. We want to be a witness for Him. We want to share that gospel news with the ones that we love, and that's what Philip wanted to do with Nathaniel. Philip knew that Nathaniel would want to know the long-awaited Messiah has finally arrived. He couldn't wait to share the news with him. And so he finds him, and he brings him to Jesus. Our text today gives us some insight on the character and the type of man that Nathaniel was. 
And I want to look at just a couple of things we can learn. Number one, I think we can see that Nathaniel loved the Bible. It's interesting how Philip announced to him that he had found the Messiah. In verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Obviously, the truth of Scripture is something that mattered very strongly to Nathaniel. Philip knew that Nathaniel would be fascinated about the news of Jesus because he was prophesied uh, by Moses and the prophets. So Philip brought the news with chapter and verse. You know, sometimes when people have different ideas or they present an opinion, one of our responses is chapter and verse, please. We'd like to know where you get that out of the Bible because what I come up with my own self doesn't matter. Amen? What's in the book is really what matters. Uh, like uh, I can present a truth that God, uh, that shorter people are closer to God than tall people. Okay? I can present that as truth and you might say, ha, I don't know about that. Chapter and verse, please. I have one. Matthew 28, 20. Lo, I am with you always, saith the Lord, okay? I have chapter and verse for it. Take that, Anthony, even. All right? Nathaniel and Philip would have been students, probably, of the Old Testament together. Likely they had come to the wilderness to hear John the Baptist preach together. And uh, notice that Philip does not say, I have found a man who has a wonderful plan for your life. He did not say, hey, you won't believe it, Nathaniel. I've got somebody who can fix all of your life's problems and he can give you meaning. He spoke about Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament because that's what mattered to Nathaniel. He carried about the Bible. Nathaniel, as a student of the Bible, was a seeker uh, after divine truth. We ought to have a burning desire to be in the Word of God as a Christian. Out of the... 1,189 chapters in your Bible. The New Testament has 250. The Old Testament has 939. Most of the, uh, in fact, half of all of the books of the Bible, the whole books are no longer than a typical two columns of your newspaper that you may read every day. It only takes over a little over 70 hours to read the entire Bible. And you might think 70 hours... That's still a long time. If we could trace backward from this point and see how long we'd have to go back in time till the point that you've watched 70 hours of television, I'm sorry, that's convicting, isn't it? We'll just move on from there. But I'm simply saying it's probably more of a priority issue than a time issue, wouldn't you agree? Seems like a certain amount of surprise in the voice of Philip here. When it's almost as if he's saying, you're not going to believe this, but Jesus, the son of the carpenter from Nazareth, is the Messiah. And this leads us to the next thing we see about Nathaniel. Nathaniel was a little prejudiced. We see it in his tone here. Prejudice is a disease of the mind that affects the heart. Prejudice is literally a preformed opinion, usually unfavorable, and it's based on insufficient knowledge, irrational feelings, and inaccurate stereotypes. Nathaniel was like so many of us. He judged people by where they were from. We do that too, don't we? When's the last time somebody introduced you, themselves to you and they said, and I'm from California, and what do we do? Come on now. It's only us in here. You can be honest, okay? We think, ugh, California, before we even know anything about them. 
we, Nathaniel's problem was he was kind of an intellectual snob. He was a little biased. In Jerusalem, people looked down on people in Galilee because Galilee was kind of from the wrong side of the tracks. So what did Galilee do? And it's interesting how people are. We tend to look down on those who are not like that us. And so then what happens to those people that we look down on? They look down on someone else who's not like them. And so Jerusalem went down in Galilee. Nathaniel was from Galilee. And so he looked down on Nazareth. And it just keeps on going. Uh, it's kind of like uh, in our day, Washington, D.C. sees us really as nothing more than flyover country. We don't even matter that much. And we look at Washington, D.C., and we see nothing but a bunch of elite snobs, and we look down on that too, amen? As Christians, we should never do that to other people because people are people. You might say, but they don't look like me. That's a good thing. We're all grateful for that, amen? Uh, but we see Nathaniel's attitude here today, even, even today concerning Christianity. Jesus was from Nazareth. <laughs> Scoff at that. Jesus, or Christianity, still is from Nazareth. They look down on it in society today. That great intellectual giant, Jesse Ventura, said, Organized religion is a sham and a crutch for weak-minded people who need strength in numbers. I find it interesting that Christianity offers mankind, offers mankind everything that his heart desires and yet people still reject it to their own peril. It's a crying shame when we marginalize people because they're not like us. Nathaniel said, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? As far as Nathaniel was concerned, Messiah and Nazareth oughtn't be used in the same sentence together. That's how he saw it. This is understandable because Nazareth had a poor reputation. Nazareth was not mentioned in the Old Testament. There's no prophecy in the Old Testament that links Messiah and Nazareth together. Nothing special was ever expected to come from Nazareth. Certainly not the Messiah. Nathaniel might have said to, uh, there's different ways he could have handled this. He might have said to Philip, as I read my Old Testament, Micah chapter 5 verse 2 says that Jesus comes from Bethlehem, not from Nazareth. He might have said, but Jesus is closely linked with Jerusalem because he's going to reign in Jerusalem. And, and that doesn't make any sense to me, but his prejudice comes through rather than his thinking when he says, can there any good thing come from Nazareth? It amazes me how the human mind operates. I like to study people, and it's, it's an amazing thing. Others have prejudices. I have convictions. Others are conceited. I have self-respect. Others are social climbing snobs. I am simply trying to get ahead. Your beliefs... Your beliefs are just plain stubbornness. I am contending for the faith. When you try to look good, it's vanity. When I try to look good, it's making the most of what God's blessed me with. Amen. In you, it's impatience. In me, it's high standards. In you, it's self-righteousness. In me, it's, well, I'm just right. That's all. In you, it's worry. In me, it's justified concern. In you, it's self-justification. In me, it's just explaining my position. In you, it's a bad temper. In me, it's just holding people accountable. And we could go on and on and on. But you get the point, don't you? We are innately biased to ourselves. We are our own best defense attorney when it comes to excusing our actions. 
As Christians, the Bible tells us we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. I have a question today. How do you treat those who don't look like you? How do you treat those who are not like you? Uh, we need to be very careful as Christians, as God's people, that we are uh, kind and loving to everyone because that's what he was and that's what we need to be. I absolutely love how Philip handled Nathaniel's hesitation. Philip did not argue with him. Oh, this is huge. This is big. We ought not argue with people. Philip said unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. Oh, to have more people to share that message right there. Come and see. The same invitation is offered today by Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Who is to come? The weary and the burdened, the heavy laden, those who are despaired and disenchanted, disenfranchised, disapproved of, those who are talked about and criticized and rejected, those who are weighed down, those who are ready to quit. All can come to Jesus Christ. The world is looking desperately for peace and fulfillment. Oh, listen, it is so important that we, as children of God, as Christians, can say with the psalmist to those around us, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to ask more people to come and see. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Philip did not debate with Nathaniel. I think this is important because, by the way, he didn't say come and think. He said come and see. Come and see, experience it. Philip Yancey said no one ever converted to Christianity because they lost the argument. Did you catch that? You rarely, if ever, I don't know of anyone that has ever been argued into Christianity. Doesn't work that way because it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. And the only way, and by the way, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Amen. You're never really going to change it. The only way to convince a man to come to Christ is to confront him with Christ. Come and see. Don't try to argue people into faith through reason debate. Show them Jesus in your life. The most effective evangelism for us is genuine, concerned, loving proclamation and the invitation. Come and see. We win hearts and minds. We don't win uh, heads. Or we win, win through the heart, not the head. The remedy for prejudice is an honest look at objective reality. Come and see. And thank God, Nathaniel went. Uh, in fact, his prejudiced mind was not as powerful as his seeking heart. That's a good thing about it. And I don't think he was a... I think this was... I'm not saying he was consumed with a hatred or, uh, or racism or anything like that. He just had a, he had a note of prejudice in his heart. I think like all of us do, if we're honest. We, we are, look at different people different ways. So he went... If uh, prejudices are rarely overcome by argument simply because they're not founded in reason. Okay? So if they're not founded by rationality, you can't rationalize someone out of it. Uh, it requires a change of heart. And that's exactly what happened to Nathaniel, which brings us to our third point about him, his heart. Though Nathaniel was a skeptic, he still went with Philip. Many times, unbelief is not willing to investigate the facts. But Nathaniel does. The most important aspect of his character is voiced by Jesus himself when he said in chapter... Uh, by the way, Jesus doesn't... He, he knows each and every one of us, can I say? He knows your every deepest thought, problems, desires. He knows what you're thinking. John 2.25 says of Jesus, "...and needed not that any should testify of man." 
For he knew what was in man. Not only what about him, but he knew what was in him. So when he came to Jesus, Jesus looked at him and said, Ha! Can anything good come out of Cana? That's not what Jesus said. What he did say was, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel was a good man, but he still needed salvation. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be to have those words come out of Jesus' mouth? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. We often hear eulogies like this at funerals, but what an awesome thing it would be to hear Jesus say that at the outset. <clears throat> this speaks volumes about Nathaniel's character. He was a man without deceit. What that really literally means is he was not two-faced. Have you ever known somebody who's two-faced? So two-faced they could open two iPhones simultaneously. You know that type of person? You never really know who you're talking to. I really dislike two-faced people. It's hard to decide which one to slap first. Amen? Two-faced people. When a person is two-faced, all you can know for sure is that you can't trust either one. But Nathaniel wasn't this type of person. He was human, he had faults, but he, and his mind was a little clouded by prejudice, but he was no hypocrite. His love for God and his search for the Messiah were very real. And Jesus refers to him as an Israelite indeed. When he says that, he's not talking about genetics. When he says an Israelite indeed, he was reconciling the two statements that he made about uh, uh, Nathaniel together. No guile and an Israelite indeed. His sincerity is what defined him as a true Israelite. May I remind you that in Jesus' time, uh, most Israelites were not real. They were hypocrites. They were phonies. They lived with the facade of spirituality, but it was not genuine. Paul said in Romans chapter 9 about them, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Basically, what he's saying is, just because they're Israelites doesn't mean they're Israelites indeed, like he was. Uh, neither that because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. Um, I think the, a common vernacular for us today would be to say, just because you go to church does not make you a Christian. Just like that's what he's saying. Just because you're an Israelite doesn't make you a child of God. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's what happens in the heart. And we still have that problem today. In our churches today, there's three different types of believers. There's believers, there's unbelievers, and there's make-believers. And uh, every age has had all three different uh, people that to have to deal with. Uh, by the way, your children will take note of which one you are. And they'll see it, and they'll notice that, and they'll take note of it. After church, uh, little Johnny was sobbing in the back seat of the car all the way home. And dad, his dad and mom had asked him several times what was the matter, and he, he just kept on crying. He wouldn't tell him what was wrong. And finally, dad stopped the car and said, Listen, Johnny, you got to tell us what's going on here. They had just left church. They were on their way home, and, and uh, he had been crying the whole way. And finally, uh, he, he gets out of the words the preacher said that he wanted us raised in a Christian home. And I want to stay with you guys. Okay, I'm simply saying kids know what's real and what's not real. And uh, they can see it. Nathaniel was real. We ought to be real in our service for Christ. Nathaniel was eagerly awaiting the promised Messiah. Now, there was still some doubt, uh, even with Philip, who refers to Jesus as the son of Joseph, not the son of God. Jesus knew Nathaniel's character. 
He knew that Nathaniel was a man without guile. He didn't try to deceive or mislead anyone. All you got to do is go back to verse 46 and you can see for ourselves how straightforward he was. He didn't beat around the bush. Maybe this is one of the things that Jesus was referring to. A man without guile. Psalmist said in Psalm 32 two, Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and whose spirit there is no guile. Now when Jesus said this, Nathaniel is really surprised at the insight. Notice the response. It's interesting. He says, whence knowest thou me? Remember, he's still on edge. He's still, he's still on the fence a little bit. Uh, it's, and it's interesting that he accepts Jesus' evaluation of his character. You'd think, what is this? Somebody tells you, well, you're the most honest person I know. Our response probably, if we're honest at all, would be, yeah, I'm not as honest as you might think I am. You know, I'm not the most honest person in the world. But when Jesus said, a man in whom there is no guile, he accepts it. He doesn't argue with that. He says, how do you know me? Isn't that interesting? He accepts Jesus' evaluation. But that was kind of funny. Uh, so he doesn't say, what, me? Guileless? But then Jesus drops a bombshell. He says, before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Yeah, you responded like I did when I read it. Say, what makes that a bombshell? I don't know, but Nathaniel knew. I don't know why that was a bombshell. I read that and I think, okay. In fact, uh, it, it's not a big deal that somebody saw what was going on there. Uh, J now, Jesus had said that, and Nathaniel realized that he could see into his heart. He realized he had an all-knowing eye. So what was the significance of the fig tree? The Bible doesn't say what the significance was. We do know that uh, houses in that culture were commonly one-room small affairs, and most of the cooking was done inside, so there would be a lot of heat in the home as the fire was kept burning, and this was before the administration had banned wood-cooking stoves for them. And the house would be hot, it would be stuffy, and often trees would be planted around these homes uh, to keep them cool and shaded. And one of the best trees to plant was a fig tree who spread its arms wide, and, and it wasn't that tall, I think like 15 feet tall, and, but it would spread its uh, branches 25 to 30 feet out. This uh, fig tree near the house provided a large, shady, protected area, and if you wanted to escape the noise and the heat of the house, that would be a wonderful place to go to. We're going out uh, to camp up at Aberdeen this week, and outside the dining hall of camp, there's a tree just like this. Uh, the, the branches come, it's not a fig tree, but it's a some kind of tree with large branches, and they come almost touching the ground, and if you uh, are getting sick of the... I'm telling the kids my secret. Actually, they're in children's church, so it's all right. If you're getting sick of the kids, you can duck underneath that branch, and there's like a cool little shaded room in there. It's a, it's a neat place to just get away and do a little studying, and it cools down. And this is the type of situation that it might have been for them. Uh, probably this is where Nathaniel went to pray. Maybe it was where he went to study Scripture. Uh, this was a mind-blowing moment for Nathaniel. We don't really know why. All Jesus said to him was, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Now, it was last Sunday or, or a couple of Sundays ago, maybe, uh, one of somebody here at church uh, told me, hey, I saw you out and about the other day. I saw uh, a, a motorcycle go by, and then I said, hey, I, I saw, that's pastor riding there. And I didn't say, wow, you're a prophet. I saw you under the fig tree. What's the big deal? You understand what I'm saying? 
but it was a big deal to Nathaniel. So we don't know what it was, but we know it was something monumental because what Jesus said to Nathaniel was enough for him to give his life to him forever. He, it changed just like Dr. Nathanson who saw one ultrasound and it changed his life forever. Nathaniel heard those words and he gave his life to Jesus and served him for the rest of his days. Exactly what Nathaniel was doing, I don't know. But Jesus knew what Nathaniel was dealing with while he's sitting under that fig tree. And when Jesus told Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree, he, he's telling him, I know everything about you. He knew Nathaniel's despair, his discouragement, his sense of hopelessness, his desire for contentment. He knew exactly what Nathaniel was feeling underneath that fig tree and why he took refuge there. And can I tell you today that Jesus Christ knows what you're dealing with under your fig tree as well. He knows all of your hopes and dreams and disappointments and aspirations. He knows your heartaches and failures and ruined expectations. I'm glad I serve a Savior who knows everything about me and He still loves me despite of it. He wants to work in my life. When I come to Him with a problem or a trial, He can help me. Psalm 139, verse 8, If I ascend uh, up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Jesus, in effect, was telling Nathaniel, I know your heart because I saw you under the fig tree. That was your private chamber, and I saw you in your secret place. There's no place you can go that I don't see you and know what you're going through. What a blessing to have a Savior who knows our troubles and sees us. He knows when you're rejoicing, and He sees you. He knows when you are hurting, and He sees you. He sees your broken heart. He sees your victories and your defeats. And that was enough for Nathaniel to say, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God, the King of Israel. It ought to be enough for us too. I think it's interesting that that very truth, his friend Philip hadn't grasped almost two years later when he's in the upper room in John 14, 8, and he says to Jesus, show us the Father. What Philip didn't get till the end, his friend Nathaniel stood at the start. Nathaniel's Old Testament understanding is clearly seen in his reply to Jesus, Thou art the Son of God, Thou art the King of Israel. Psalm chapter 2 says the Messiah would be the Son of God. Many Old Testament prophecies talked about the Messiah as the King of Israel. Nathaniel was not one to be half committed. Uh, he had full understanding, and when he saw who Jesus was, he had total commitment to Him from day one. And in verse 50, I think this is almost humorous. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou? Thou shalt see greater things than these. Essentially, Jesus is saying, Well, that was easy. <laughs> said one thing and he's totally committed. But here's the wonderful thing about sincere people like Nathaniel. They are not filled with unbelief. They may have doubt, you may have some doubt today yourself. But there's a big difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is a problem of the intellect. You, uh, you, you want to believe, but you have some questions. You have some issues. Unbelief is a problem of the heart. Unbelief will not believe no matter what it sees. I grow weary of talking to people who will not believe there is a God because He does not show Himself. 
Uh, first of all, that's ridiculous on its face. Look around. He shows himself all over through nature. You, you've been out to the four presidents yet? Uh, seen Mount Rushmore? It's interesting. Whenever I visit other places, um, I, I want to hear a little bit about my ministry. And, and uh, I tell them that I've, I've been able to preach to, to a lot of different people. I've been able to preach to four presidents. And, and uh, it makes it sound really good. When I was out there, I just took a moment and preached for a second so I could truthfully say I preached in the presence of four presidents. And so uh, it helps the resume out, you know. But uh, I can't look at the, the uh, Mount Rushmore and say, wow, that just happened. That tells me somebody, somebody took a lot of time and effort, worked on that. We have a universe as intricate as ours, and he hasn't shown himself. But we go beyond that. And when somebody says that to me, I always follow it up with some questions. Well, if he did show himself, how would you know it's him? Because right now there's about 35 people in the world right now that claim to be God, uh, this, uh, the re reincarnation of Christ. So if they make the claim, how do you know it's true? Well, he would have to prove it. How would he have to prove it? Well, he'd have to do some miracles. That's interesting. Like heal the sick, change water into wine, uh, raise the dead, heal a How about giving a blind man sight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he did that, then I'd know he's God and I'd believe him. He did that, and we crucified him. You understand? Unbelief does not believe when it sees proof, because unbelief is a problem of the heart. And Nathaniel didn't have a problem of the heart. Yeah, he doubted a little bit in the head, but as soon as he saw, as soon as he had, uh, because that's what doubt does. Doubt sees uh, uh, a little bit of proof and has a faith to believe what God says. And he was ready to give his, he did give his life to Christ. Disobedience is the root of unbelief, and unbelief in turn causes further disobedience. Jesus next tells Nathanael, Verily, verily, I say unto you, hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus basically saying, if one simple statement about the fig tree would convince Nathaniel he was the son of God, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm sorry, that's bad English. Thou hast observed practically no measurable exploits hitherto. That's better. Ever since I graduated from homeschool, I've tried to appear smart, okay? Most of the disciples struggled for years to grasp what Nathaniel got in his first meeting with Jesus. And then Jesus said, Nathaniel, we're just getting started. You haven't seen anything yet. Wait till you see what we're able to accomplish here. In the Old Testament, Jacob had a dream, and, and his dream was that the ladder, uh, there's a ladder that spanned earth to heaven, and uh, angels were descending on it and ascending on it. And what Jesus said to Nathaniel here was a reference to that Old Testament account. He was the ladder. Jesus is the ladder that connects earth to heaven. You're not going to get to heaven from earth any other way than through Jesus Christ, through that ladder. And so Nathaniel would see the angels of God uh, ascending and descending upon him. And Nathaniel would spend the rest of his days telling people about that Savior. And that's all we really know about Nathaniel from the Bible. Early church records tell us that he ministered in Persia and India. And he took the gospel as far as Armenia. It says that he was martyred. Uh, there's, uh, all, all records say that he was martyred, but how? There's some different stories about that. One says that he was put into a sack and cast into the sea, and one says he was crucified. 
But by all accounts, he was martyred for the cause of Christ. What we do know is that Nathaniel was faithful to the end. And one reason for this is he was faithful from the start. When he recognized who Jesus was, he didn't waste his time. He gave himself wholly and utterly to Christ. His time with Jesus only made his faith stronger. And Nathaniel, like others, show, like all the friends of Jesus, show us that God takes common people and he does extraordinary things with them. I'm asking you throughout this whole series, would you be a friend of Jesus? Would you allow him to use you the way he used these people? We look, I mean, sometimes we think, wow, well, we do two things. Sometimes we look at the people in the Bible and we think <coughs> some kind of spiritual superheroes. Other times we look at the Bible and see the, for instance, the collection of disciples Jesus gathered. Kind of backhill, hillbilly group of guys it was. Till we look in the mirror and then we see that we're no better. Amen. We can look at it either way, but either way we see that God can take anybody and do great things through them. It is not your abilities. It's your availability that he's concerned about. And I'm asking today, we let him use you. Like Nathaniel did. We don't know that much about him. We've uh, looked a little bit about his character. We don't know the, the struggles he had. I'm sure he had them just like we all do. But he let Jesus Christ use him in a great and mighty way. And Jesus wants to do the same with you today. Would you have your heads bowed, eyes closed at this time, if I could? And uh, I'd like to ask you today, have you had your Nathaniel moment? Oh, you might know about Jesus. You might know that uh, you, you might have even uh, read your Bibles uh, through about Jesus and read your go the Gospels, but you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you the question this way. Do you know that you know that you know if something happened to you right now, you'd be in heaven? Do you know that for sure? If you're in here today and you say, Preacher, I'm not sure. I'd like to, I hope so, but I'm not sure. Would you slip up your hand and let me pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you, I just want to pray for you. I'm not sure that I'm a child of God. Thank you so much. What about you, dear Christian? Have you sold out for God? Nathaniel did. Would you stand along with me as she begins to play? And the altar is open if you want to